welcome to Living Writers. And you've got um, David Mitchell in the studio today, and I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Tex Engineering, and we just heard a little bit of Neutron Milk Hotel, which we were getting lost in, so we almost... <laughs> We almost didn't come on for the program. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful song, and every line is a brilliant line, and um, and it's a short story or a prose poem, and it's quite difficult to disengage yourself from it halfway through, isn't it? It's true, because then we have that accordion or so oh, coming yeah, up, the right? Accordion, the accordion. David, why did you pick that one? Is because you've picked. You're going to the songs we hear today on our short breaks will be all songs that David Mitchell has picked. Um, why this one? Why was this one? Did you choose first? Because even if it's the first time you're hearing it, uh, it's still brilliant. It's instantly likable. Yet, unlike most instantly likable songs, it's also brilliant on the 50th time you're hearing it. Uh, that's very rare. Some, some pieces of music spend themselves on the first time, and from then on in, it's, you get sort of diminishing returns from each play. Other music can be quite difficult to to find a means of ingress for but you know, then but 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 then they grow on you uh and occasionally you get this deep beauty that it's brilliant the first time you hear it and it goes on being gorgeous mysterious brilliant song and you keep finding new associations in it isn't it great to be alive for pieces of music like that yeah, and and you were saying um, right before we came on on air, like, it, and each line is great. Like each yeah, of the yeah. lines is your favorite line. it's just great, isn't it? The, the, um, what's the one about? Um, you were building a treehouse. Oh, the trees come tumbling through. The, uh, there's down. building <laughs> and tumbling, and it doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't make any sense in just the right way, which is poetry, isn't and it? And it makes a certain sense, but you can't really maybe say what. Yeah, you feel uh, it, though. Pre precisely. Like St. Augustine said about time, it makes complete sense until you have to explain it, and then it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, then it's uh, we're just all in on the same game. Mm, Somehow, mm, no. Mm, no. <laughs> mm. Well, the sun rises and sets. <laughs> There, I've explained it, David. <laughs> David Mitchell is here. He's visiting. Um, you're in town. Um, you've given a reading. Maybe some folks have had a chance to catch that you're giving a talk. Um, and this will be, I should say, we're taping this on the 30th of October, 2012. Um, and, uh, and now it's Halloween, probably, as people are listening to it. <laughs> Appropriately enough. Yeah. Yeah. Boo. Boo. Boo to you too. <laughs> and here is, um, before we go any further, I'll read from the back. We've got David's books, um, many of them here on the table with us. Um, the most recent, The Thousand Autumns of Jacob Desut. And here's the short bio in the back. And we'll, we'll build and tumble in the trees from there. Mm. <laughs> David Mitchell is the acclaimed author of the novels Black Swan Green, which was selected as one of the 10 best books of the year by Time, Cloud Atlas, which was a Man Booker Prize finalist, Number 9 Dream, which was shortlisted for the Man Booker as well as the James Tate Black Memorial Prize, and Ghostwritten, awarded the Mail on Sunday John Llewellyn Riss Prize for Best Book by a Writer Under 35, and shortlisted for the Guardian First Book Award. He lives in Ireland. Les Cork, bottom mm -hmm. left, bottom according left. to David. <laughs> 
as as all the cartologists say. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. Or, or, or the real capital of Ireland, as the Corkonians like to say. Yes. Yeah. Have you? Um, well, but born in England, yeah. I suppose yeah. we should, should say if we're sort of thinking about the um, uh, the world of David Mitchell, um, which is is you've got your real your real real I'm doing air quotes everyone real life world and then you create these amazing worlds that you seem to inhabit um maybe maybe for years at a time for these these yeah, novels that you yeah. create yeah well well that that goes with the job description really you you, you that that's exactly what a writer does you you, you uh, make imaginary friends as real as you possibly can up to the point where you can almost have conversations with you, uh, with them and the worlds in which they live then you work at bringing them into existence through mind power <laughs> and walk the streets and climb those mountains and none of them exist but you have to make them feel real enough to yourself so you can then write about them as if they're real places and real people and hopefully in the imaginations of, 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 of your readers the same kind of odd uh non-matter to real matter kind of illusion takes place and it feels real for them too mm. yes for example in in the thousand autumns of jacob de Zoot, um perhaps what you're saying too david is that once you're in the first couple of pages you're suddenly um with jacob in 1799 arriving um to the small island off of nagasaki you know on by ship mm. Mm. And can you help me pronounce the island name oh, where sure. he? It's called Dejima. Dejima, which was the um, the trading post for the Dutch East Indies Company uh, for all of the two and a half centuries when Japan was closed to the outside world. It wasn't not quite. There was this little cultural cat flap through which all information about the outside w world could enter Japan and uh, and vice versa. Even though the shogun yeah. shogun was really determined to try to keep Japan. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, hermetically sealed from the corrupting influence of of the outside world, which would ultimately threaten his uh, or, 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 or the ruling family's hold on power. Uh, and it was, in a way, the world's first great totalitarian state. And uh, the outside world was very successfully kept out. But and this, oh God. But not quite. There was this little trading post here in Nagasaki, and um, there were enough people on both sides who could enrich themselves through smuggling uh, and who were influential enough to keep this open. And it was kept open. Um, and um, when I found out about it, it seemed very rich in novelistic potential. So some years later, I wrote the book. Yeah, could we talk about that? Because I feel like when I was reading a bit about you, that it you had um, maybe the germ of the idea was happened when you were traveling in Japan, and it was in one of your notebooks because you came upon a museum. Yeah, that's right. Or, yeah. Was how, so when was that? Yeah, oh, years ago. Years ago. Uh, when you were a wee lad. <laughs> well, pretty much. When I was in my twenties, which feels like a wee lad now. Uh, um, Nineteen ninety-four, the Christmas of. I uh, went backpacking on the west of Japan and went to Nagasaki. Tried to find Chinatown to get some cheap food. 
couldn't read the street signs, got off at the wrong streetcar stop and stumbled across this little museum of Dejima uh, that was actually on the original site because uh, it's um, originally it would have looked like a um, kind of a small curved was a man-made island in Nagasaki Harbour separated from them from from Japan proper by a bridge about sort of six meters across it so I mean, it's it would have been quite small um so like the haypenny bridge in dublin yeah. perhaps like yeah, something yeah, as yeah, small yeah. as that yeah, really yeah, sure sure <laughs> maybe even smaller um <laughs> and um um it would have been about three streets long uh, um excuse me, about three streets wide and maybe 50 60 70 meters uh in length so really small uh and 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 but uh, it was the world for for the Dutch uh, and European tradespeople, or the merchants, uh, or the the employees of the Dutch East Indies Company. Uh, that was their world for the whole year between the trading season, between the ship arriving and the ship leaving. They weren't really allowed off except under uh, exceptional circumstances, and um, the only people allowed on were the translators and the merchants to do business with the Dutch and actually the prostitutes also to do business with the Dutch. Um, odd world, uh, not at all sort of the normal colonial experience of white people in Asia. Um, for Japanese maintained the dominant half of, of the relationship um, but the Dutch needed to be there because they needed the copper that they could export from Japan, which they could turn into coins in Jakarta, which is modern day, um, um, sorry, Batavia, which is modern day Jakarta. And that was the money they used to finance the empire, to um, pay for the private native armies and to buy off possible enemies. It was Japanese metal that kept it going. So that's why they needed to it's buy into these fairly um, uh, non-advantageous trade terms. And and so you stumbled across on Christmas Day this museum that made all this come to life for you. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the and museum uh, back then, it, it, um, because of land reclamation projects, the shoreline's moved 100 metres away. So um, <coughs> it's sort of the original The original site is now inland, surrounded by buildings, but it's slowly been reconstructed since I was first there, in fact. So if you do like the book, you can go and walk the streets and see how it looked now. And, and it's um, they've done a pretty good job of it. Um, and so you were there. So, so this is, well, I guess what I was just thinking is that um, your imagination captured this moment and then you wrote about it in your journal and then these years later you i mean you've in the interim of course we've mm. got the cloud nine dream that we mentioned uh we've on the table here we have cloud atlas i guess we can talk about your film too. Sure, sure. <laughs> black swan green yeah. Uh, yeah um it was always going to be a very hard book to land uh and i didn't feel i mean it, it's 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 the fifth of my five books to date and I kind of knew that it was going to be a hard one to do so I, I learned a little bit about writing from my other books before I embarked upon this one 
So it wasn't as if you sketched anything out then at all. It sort of has been just marinating back there in yeah, your sub, in yeah. your imagination. Sure, that's not so unusual. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to uh, agree with me, uh, <laughs> sure, if you no, want to put um, it that way. <laughs> uh, I think of them in air, uh, uh, I think of, of future books as aircraft in holding patterns over a busy airport. Uh, they're always there, and at idle moments, or, or if I find a great piece of research, then I stash it away for when I can kind of bring this airplane in to land, and that's when I write it. So visually, as I look at you, David Mitchell, how many airplanes should I see circling your head right now? About four. Okay, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back to hear more. Maybe will you read a little bit for us, David? With great pleasure. Okay, we'll hear from the Thousand Autumns of Jacob Dizut today. David Mitchell is here on Living Writers. I'm glad you're listening. We'll be right back. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel today. David Mitchell is here. And no, I have I've not seen this video. Oh, it's what beautiful. Is- uh, it's a uh, it's an embryo or a fetus uh, who who oh. sort of performs it, but not Wait, in a is floating in sort of y- ambiotic yeah, fluid because it feels like you're floating, right? In the song or ambiently uh, ambiently in amniotic fluid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, shall I read a little bit? Oh, well, yes. Oh, but one one moment, and then, oh, sure, and then sure, sure, I don't sure. need to uh, hold on for one second. Mm-hmm. Um, because David, it's amazing how much music it, music means to you. Like you're passionate about music, and you. Well, I, I, I don't quite trust people who aren't. To be honest, <laughs> don't you find? Yeah. If, 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 if 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 you actually find someone who says, "Oh no, I don't like music at all. It does nothing for me," then it's 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 sort of like finding a person who breaks open a 
Kit Kat across the grooves of the Kit Kat rather than along the grooves of the Kit Kat. That would, it would just be a sort of an <laughs> an, 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 an odd warning sign. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, nice knowing you. I think I I've just remembered an an an, 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 an appointment with my back doctor now. <laughs> Bye. Exactly, or the dentist, or any anything really it would be great. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's true. But the way you were talking about it too, and and you you were you speak about like both these songs um as a not like as i can see the writer in you talking about these songs like the the slow um the slow build up and then to the great reveal yeah, where there's yeah. the well, of the song the and- massive attack track it it it, 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 it does have this slow it's a beautiful slow paced yeah the reveal is really well plotted and and those really satisfying piano chords that that you you don't expect beforehand but then um retrospectively how could it have been any other chord it, it just has this satisfying rightness that that a, that a damn good sentence has oh um am i right yes, to say yes damn <laughs> That's, uh, damn is fine dashed good sentence has, sorry. <laughs> but nothing heavy or spicier than damn right gotcha gotcha, gotcha. Uh, mothers are listening mothers are listening and uh, now I've lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, the, 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 and the, the, the ethereal <laughs> oh, vocalist her, her as well. Vocalist. She's just, she's yes. just, it's not, it's a lovely breathy voice and, and it, it's electronic music, but it just feels very human and organic as well. And, and, and the, a drummer does not sound like a drum machine and, and, and it's just, just a great track. Just a great track. So have you ever been a DJ, David? No, or? no, 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 no. Uh, as a, as someone with a speech disfluency, I, I really don't think a DJ would be a very good job at all. Uh, but, but, well, um, well no, uh, passion however, for I'm music a is... A fantasy the... DJ. I've written a um, uh, DJ. So in my first book, there is a DJ. Oh, Cloud uh, Dream 9? Uh, no, uh, we'll be talking Ghost Written, which was published in 99, way oh. back when. Way back in the day. Oh, yes. Uh, back around these... The songs where these the songs were yeah, playing, yeah, really, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, there is rather a nineties, eighties flavour to my playlist, but that's partly because when you become a dad, there's so much noise in the house that actually you 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 you, you tend to explore music a little bit less. Or I think maybe something else has happened as well, just with the iPodization of music, the way it's become a commodity rather than items of rare treasure. In the days we could only sort of buy four or five LPs a year. And you had to make everyone count, and you knew every note of every bar of every song of every piece of music you owned. Yeah, uh, the artifact yeah. that you could actually hold. And there was something holy about them, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. In, in 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 a way which music doesn't quite have anymore. Uh, that the live concert has become more holy. Ah. Uh, but yeah. And so you know that makes me think. Um, that you you are just like you are w like right a friend of WCBN FM definitely. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I, I'm, I'm I'm very <laughs> proud to be your friend. <laughs> and you're welcome anytime, David. Oh, you can you. also be like a shadow DJ here on Ooh. on Fridays if you're stiff. You haven't flown home by then. You come down and play some <laughs> okay. songs on Friday. Or um, you should also check out the radio uh, the the um, the record store Encore on Liberty if oh, you if, uh, when you're going I've, to dinner when 
night or I've something. I've been in already, actually. Oh, you have? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, you can't walk past a record shop without going in. Did you, you really get... Can't. Did you? Uh, well, I, I, don't have a t- I don't have a turntable, and I'm here in a hotel, and you just shouldn't really buy LPs when you've got to make an intercontinental flight back home, obviously. <laughs> People will and, be looking at you like, what is this? Oh, <laughs> as, yeah. look through your, um, as they x-ray your luggage, right? It might get bent. That's what I'm worried about. They don't quite fit into backpacks. Oh, that's mm. true. No suitcases. Mm. Well, David, now we've talked a lot about the music. Would you mind reading a bit? Mm-mm. And it's and you and you, it's interesting because um, just so that everybody um, who's listening knows, you're you're going towards the back of the book, which is also an interesting choice because sometimes people just start at the beginning or. Um, it's quite a big, thick book, so I had to tome. be disciplined about um, leaving out any. Self-indulgences, which you can get away with in shorter books, because you must never outstay your welcome, and the longer the book, the greater the likelihood is that you'll do that. However, I've got one little self-indulgent page right at the end that I put in more or less just for me. Um, and it's a description of the, t- of the city of Nagasaki, circa 1801, uh, and it's being viewed... The town is being viewed by the magistrate of the city, who would have been the most important man there. And without giving away the plot, he has reason to believe that he might not be seeing this view again. Gulls wheel through spokes of sunlight over gracious roofs and dowdy thatch, snatching entrails at the marketplace and escaping over cloistered gardens, spike-topped walls and triple-bolted doors. Gulls alight on whitewashed gables, creaking pagodas and dung-ripe stables. They circle over towers and cavernous bells and over hidden squares where urns of urine sit by covered wells, watched by mule drivers, mules and wolf-snouted dogs, ignored by hunchbacked makers of clogs. They gather speed up the stoned in the Kashima River and fly beneath the arches of its bridges, glimpsed from kitchen doors and watched by farmers walking high stony ridges. Gulls fly through clouds of steam from laundry's vats, over kites and threading the corpses of cats, over scholars glimpsing truth in fragile patterns, over bathhouse adulterers, heartbroken slattens, fishwives dismembering lobsters, lobsters and crabs, their husbands gutting mackerel on slabs, woodcutters' sons sharpening axes, candle-makers rolling waxes, Flint-eyed officials milking taxes, Etoliate lacquerers, mottled-skinned dyers, imprecise soothsayers, unblinking liars, weavers of mats, cutters of rushes, ink-lipped calligraphers dipping their brushes, booksellers ruined by unsold books, ladies-in-waiting, tasted, tasters, dressers, filching page-boys, runny-nosed cooks, Sunless attic nooks where seamstresses prick calloused fingers, limping malingerers, swineherds and swindlers, lip-chewed debtors rich in excuses, heard it all creditors tightening nooses, prisoners haunted by happier lives and ageing rakes by other men's wives, skeletal tutors goaded to fits, firemen turned looters when occasion permits, tongue-tied witnesses, purchased judges, mothers-in-law nurturing briars and grudges, Apothecaries grinding powders with mortars. 
palanquins carrying not-yet-wed daughters, silent nuns, nine-year-old whores, the once were beautiful, gnawed by sores, statues of Jesus, anointed with poses, syphilitics sneezing through rotted-off noses, potters, barbers, hawkers of oil, tanners, cutlers, carters of night soil, gatekeepers, beekeepers, blacksmiths and drapers, torturers, wet nurses, perjurers, cut purses, the newborn, the growing, the strong-willed and, and pliant, the ailing, the dying, the weak, the defiant. And over the roof of a painter, withdrawn first from the world and then his family, and down into a masterpiece that has, in the end, withdrawn from its creator. And around again, where the flight began, over the balcony of the room of the last chrysanthemum, where a puddle from last night's rain is evaporating, a puddle in which the magistrate observes the blurred reflections of gulls wheeling through spokes of sunlight. This world, he thinks, contains just one masterpiece, and that is itself. Thank you, David. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. How can you say that self-indulgent? That's just your modesty. Oh, because it's right? nothing at all to do with the rest of the novel. It doesn't precede the plot. It doesn't particularly add to the character. Um, uh, might help a little bit with the place, but uh, but but we're already at the end of the book. We already know how Nagasaki feels and looks and smells like. So, it um, and it rhymes. You know, uh, when it's on the page and your eyeballs reading it, it doesn't really rhyme. But when your and your ear is hearing it, when it's read aloud like that, uh, it rhymes. And um, yeah, that's a bit self-indulgent. Well, Come when on. did you? No, <laughs> when? So and does it when? When you were writing the draft, the first draft, David, is that where it came up in the writing of the novel? Is that where that moment, or had you thought of Nagasaki in this way before that, and then and placed it Ooh, at the? Because, not sure I can remember. Or, um, probably, yeah. No, I, I actually wrote that in Japan, which was um, sort of a year or so before I really got organised in writing the novel. So yes, it uh, it, 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 it 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 existed. Um, I was working on the book, but um. That passage had its own life, and I would regularly polish it to get started on that day's writing yeah. session. So it's, it's probably the most polished thing I've ever done, actually. I have no idea how often I, I'd sort of go through that and put, take bits out and put bits in or reinstate bits I'd taken out the last time. Like a real poem. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, and also, um, so did I hear you correctly with the... Um, the, where it was sort of the, your way in to because with a novel like this we were talking earlier about how part of the the writers the fiction writer's job is to inhabit these worlds mm. and then you mentioned then that this was sort of your entree sometimes this working on these yeah like, yeah to, yeah just when you sit down and flip open your lap book uh for that day um uh sometimes you're not sure where to start uh, and this was always oh i 'll have a look at that prose poem again or and 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 uh and then you do that for a little bit it, it's it 's perhaps like having a game of angry birds before you get down to work for the rest of the day you know it's uh what was the first image that that came to you for this novel because i I understand the setting because that mm -hmm. happened by accident on Christmas day <laughs> some years ago but 
Um, probably just the ship arriving, actually. Uh, arriving into Nagasaki, like the reader arriving into my book. Uh, so that's how... That's probably the first... Of course, what you think is the opening never is the opening. Uh, uh, the So what actually happened... Um, what, ha- what Yeah. Uh, you mean the, with the midwife part? Uh, well, or? yeah, uh, that was even a later opening. There's that part. For the Dutch people, the opening is... You know, it's it's a it's a rudimentary mistake. Uh, you don't need to ever have anyone walking in to the room. There's n- no reason to have them walk in. <laughs> if they're speaking in the room, then they've already arrived. So it's tautological to show anybody arriving at the location where the scene takes place. Uh, <laughs> of course, they're there. So uh, out it goes. You know. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, the first scene later became an argument. I needed to. D- d- download a vast amount of historical information in a very short time without boring the reader. How would you do that without sounding like a lecturer? Uh, increase the temperature by having an argument, just smuggle it through in the form of an argument and the reader's already taking sides and feeling the injustice. And be- and because your, your your heart rate is up, you don't notice that all this information about the late 18th century in Japan is, is, is already streaming in. So uh, that then became the sort of the westerners opening into the book where and decided that then i felt I, I kind of needed another opening which is where i sort of blast in with a japanese character and and, and the midwife and, the, and and there's a birth scene which is appropriate as well in its way because sort of uh it's often good to begin with a birth as it is the great beginning for all of us it is yes, yes. Okay, I won't argue with with you about that. Yeah, and you've got uh, uh, there. There aren't many images in here, but there's one in the early pages. Yeah, uh, they were. Uh, that's a great Enlightenment text by a by a Scottish doctor called Doctor um, John Smiley, and uh, he had um, uh, no William Smiley. Sorry, he he he, he was the first enlightenment figure to really try and work out the science of birth and uh he's he has as great a claim as anyone to being the father of obstetrics an amazing time really just hadn't been done before it was always the preserve of women of of midwives um and kind of wasn't something that a real gentleman doctor would ever really have uh, engaged in you know, there weren't any books there weren't any texts but this guy thought no we 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 need to work out how this works and uh well those pictures would have been drawn from life uh where birth went wrong uh and, and, and so the, the, these these very um quite gruesome looking by our standards engravings of of, of fetuses caught in difficult positions and and, and uh but we're only here because of them. You know, um, our ancestors, or, 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 or our grandparents, grandparents, their grandparents, sort of, they may well owe their existence to doctors who saw these diagrams, yes. uh, the, 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 these, these, these engravings. We wouldn't be here without them. You know, that The unsung heroes of history aren't the monarchs or the generals or, 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 or these great symbolic figures. They're the humdrum public health officials. They're the 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 doctors who worked out vaccination who who worked out how to combat these illnesses that would regularly decimate humanity uh, and and uh, we owe their existence to them they're the real heroes and adding our knowledge like to, that's what makes us human 
yeah, not yeah. this will to power or so, or the that's uh, a vibe that's there too. That's there but, too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we are at our best when we communicate as a social organism, uh, kind of like the Borg collective, but with a sense of humour. <laughs> We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back um, to hear uh, hear more conversation today with David Mitchell. Um, the book we've been speaking about, The Thousand Autumns of Jacob DeZoot. You've got living writers on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. We'll be back. History repeats the old conceits. Replies the same defeats. Keep your finger on button issues with crocodile tears and a pocket full of tissues. Just the all is slick and wind the world of the nervous tick. In a very fashionable hovel. I hang around until be tortured. You'll never be alone in the bone arches. Battle with the bottle is nothing so novel. So in this almost empty gin palace Through a two-way looking glass You see her hours You know she has no sense For all your jealousy In a sense she still smiles Very sweet Charged with insults and flattery Her body moves with madness Do you have to be so cruel? If you're just tuning in, I'm glad you did. You've got living writers today on the program. David Mitchell is here in the studio. We've got text engineering and I'm T. Hetzel and we're all glad that you're tuned in on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And David's been picking the songs. We just had a little Elvis Costello there. Yeah, I'm, great track, isn't it? Sorry that we have yeah. to cut it off. When oh, me too, <laughs> me too. He's more interesting than me. Oh, Listen to on. me. Just play the whole song. Who cares what I want to say? I don't. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Well, yeah. In this almost empty gin palace through a two-way looking glass, you see your Alice. You, you know, see your Alice. couplet. It's poetry, isn't it? It's... <laughs> Ah, what a what a lyricist! Well, when do what you write lyricist? poems, David? When do you? I don't. I, 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 no. Um, uh, my poetry fuel I put into the novels, and 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 I use it to make lines, and I Beautiful. insert the lines. I do my best, thank you. Um, we 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 strive for beauty and don't always hit it, but but yeah, uh, I do my best. <laughs> Well, you can see how much you love language. There's not a word language file, is there? <laughs> no, no it's but, just different um, words for like... Um, <laughs> the word I like this is... File? <laughs> how about word nerd? Word, oh, I, I, yes. Thank you. Good, isn't it? Bring it home. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and it has the specialty, which is word nerdery, which is even more satisfying because it's a bit like a wormery, which is where worms... <laughs> live and breed sort of, of if, if, if you're studying worms and you have a wormery uh so word nerdery is sort of like a little sort of glass box with word nerds digging tunnels in sand <laughs> isn't that pleasing <laughs> we, and there should be a t-shirt for this and thank you for the visual um oh you can have it <laughs> no word nerdery well well um the let's let's talk a little bit about um, 
<laughs> your 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 passion for words, David, with um with these stories that you create with um do you mind if we talk about Cloud Outlast yeah, a little sure. bit? Um Cause you ever do you do you ever get uh, I hope you're not tired of talking about it though because i i mean it must it must be an exciting time too because earlier i made a mistake and i said your film cloud atlas but of course that's it's not Uh, yeah this your novel cloud atlas which is the Mm. inspiration and what they based it on Mm. right yeah um what what's a what was it like for you to see the book made into the film is it is that it's a long satisfying like the music when you hear the note and it feels like you uh, unexpected but right or not like that at all? Uh no, not like that. Um not really. Um music's sort of different. It has it has a more instantaneous impact, I think. Uh and works more at a sort of anatomical level. Uh film, a uh, wonderful art form in its own right. Um so you question what it's like. Um Firstly, it's a long, long process from text to screen. Years, many years. Um, so uh, the surprise that an outsider has where you just sit down and uh, all those painstakingly arranged dominoes are toppled all at once for you, that's a different experience than for someone who was there watching the dominoes in the domino topple being painstakingly crafted and put for months after month after month um not a great metaphor but maybe you know what i mean yes um, no, so, so, so i'm with you if, if if you're a part of the process then um or, or if you're aware of the process going on then you're never really surprised by much because it's a more gradual uh thing to be a part of or to watch or or to be a spectator of more accurately the production of a film i mean uh, there is a sort of yeah there is something of a wow to be had by watching some very famous faces um acting characters you have written oddly enough though that wow wears off very quickly because for everybody else involved in the project for the uh the actors the grips the directors the special effects people the the camera people the sound people it's just another day at the office uh for them it's quite normal so that sense of this being business as usual rubs off on you and you tend to for you can't really walk around in a sort of a state of carl sagan-esque wonder sort of think this is amazing it doesn't because it isn't that amazing for anyone else really i mean someone has to write the damn book oh i said damn again uh Someone has to write the book in the first place, and and and, and this time it happened to be me. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm happy about the film. I like it very much. I think they did a good job. It's a great interpretation, and it, it, it is an interpretation. It isn't a sort of underfed clone of the novel. It, it's it's sort of that they brought their own take to it, and they made the film in a way that utilizes the strengths of film as a medium. And I'm very glad about that. And that's why it works, I think. So I'm very happy to be associated with it. I, I'm, I'm contractually obliged not to slag it off in public, but I'm not contractually obliged. <laughs> I'm not contractually obliged to say nice things about it. Uh, and, and so I wouldn't be saying this if I didn't feel it. I'd be neatly avoiding your question, which, I'm, which I haven't done. No. 
And hopefully you haven't been avoiding any of them. You've been tap dancing away from them, and I'm just blithely <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 asking another one. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Well, maybe um, just for a moment, because I know that The Thousand Autumns of Jacob de Zoot is, is the most recent book, so I, I wanted us to talk most about that one. Oh, um, um, I don't mind what we talk about. Really? It, is that okay? Oh, oh, um, <laughs> it, it was out in what... 2010, so so it still it feels distant. Now in in for 2009, you. and I haven't looked at it for three years, really. So so so, so yeah, yeah. I, so do you I, have a new book coming out right now? Is it's it? not coming out, but uh, but I'm certainly. I mean, I get to work on the next one the week after handing in the last one. So so yeah, I, I'm, I'm in a very different headspace, and I, I I don't feel any resentment about not talking about the most recent one because they're all equally distant for me, really. I'm just thinking about the one I'm on at the moment, really. Yeah. And that we can't talk about because you, it's, it's not it's not to the publisher yet. It's not can't. It's just I. I, I or no, don't. It's um, okay. Books are made of changes of mind, and what I say now is maybe inaccurate in in six weeks' time. And coiled uh, tension too. Books are made of coiled tension. Yeah. Within your imagination, so. You... I like the phrase "coiled tension." I'm not quite sure what it means. But uh, but but I like the way it sounds. But like, if you release too many of the ideas out, then in in just by talking about them, maybe there's no need for them to. Do our fighters feel like that? Yeah, or, but it's not um, like that for you. For me, I actually quite like talking about it uh, with people I know that it won't go any further with. Uh, but, but, not which, like which doesn't make it appropriate for, for a radio conversation. No, really. it doesn't. But, but uh, that's... I've got one or two friends that I go and, and we, 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 we sort of have mutual authorial self-help groups where we talk about the next book uh, and kind of <laughs> workshop it before the manuscript is even done. And those are enormously helpful. So I wouldn't be a coiled tension writer in that sense but I do know people who are like that and, and, and just religiously won't breathe a word about it until it's handed in mm. well well, good to know that you've got this authorial group where you meet and and chat uh, this stuff over that's probably really... over egging it um, okay. three people loose affiliation yeah, with yeah, yeah, no. yeah, oh good yeah. friends then yeah, so, yeah okay yeah, yeah, yeah. well yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, well, well, back for a moment to Cloud Atlas, oh, David. With the um, when you were when you were first thinking about Cloud Atlas, when you uh, were you first uh, also imagining that it had to have the structure as well, or was it something that? In this case, the structure came first, which is very rare. That's never happened with any other book, but it is an odd. It is an oddball structure. Uh, with this sort of Russian doll interrupted narrative form, which the film does not use, because uh, you can't ask a viewer of a film to begin watching a film six times, the sixth time being halfway into it, and kind of 90 minutes in. Um, Why is the interruption important as a f framework in this, in the book itself? I was a kid, really. I was sort of about 30 when I was working on this one, really years ago. Uh, I just wanted to see what it would look like. So I can't really say it was important. Uh, it, it, was, it was that. It was, it, I just had this sort of ravenous curiosity, ravenous curiosity just to see if it could be done, what it would look like, and how you could sort of marry that to themes that would make it worthwhile doing and not just a gimmick. And... And off I went. 
um, and, and sort of good things happened in its writing, and I managed to get it done. Was it sort of um, a game you played with yourself a little bit? Not game in a, a frivolous way, but to see what would happen or what would be what would be gained layers or so, right? Or like, did you say, and this is where it stops and you stopped and then you started another piece or had you written part of it and then you, st- I'm just wondering about how yeah. you made the slices. Or the- There's two questions there. Uh, the latter first, uh, I just wrote all the n- novellas as entire novellas in, um, <sighs> in full, knowing where the cut point would come. And then um, I kind of like to, tease the directors who spent about nine months in post-production on the film my post-production on the book was just to use that cut and paste facility on my computer and, and i sort of assembled the book in about eight minutes after uh sort of the when i finally did the sixth and last novella and and, and i just spent a bit of time chopping it up and that was the form of the novel that it's in now um the other question uh, what did you ask first and um Oh, crikey, I don't um, remember. I... There'll be more awake people at home who kind of... <laughs> no worries. ...do know what we asked first, but hey... Um... <laughs> this was a great answer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's take a short break, and then okay. we'll collect ourselves, and okay. we'll be back. Okay. <laughs> You're listening to Living Writers. David Mitchell is here today. We've been talking about The Thousand Autumns of Jacob Dezout, Cloud Atlas, also on the table, Black Swan Green. We'll be right back. Pedro lives out of the Wilshire Hotel. He looks out a window without glass. The walls are made of cardboard. Newspapers on his feet, and his father beats him because he's too tired to beg. He's got nine brothers and sisters. They're brought up on their knees. It's hard to run when a coat hanger beats you on the thighs. Pedro dreams of being older and killing the old man, but that's a slim chance. He's going to the boulevard. On the dirty boulevard, he's going out to the dirty boulevard. He's going down to the dirty boulevard. This room costs $2,000 a month. You can believe it, man. It's true. Somewhere a landlord's laughing till he wets his pants. Back. <laughs> Come back, Lou Reed. <laughs> what a song. Says oh, that's David a Mitchell. Great track. <laughs> Uh, I, I must have listened to that a hundred times, and it's it's still brilliant. Uh, it's a great song. And was that you um, as as a young man in England as well? David Mitchell here on Living Writers this yeah. afternoon, I should say quickly. <laughs> uh, that album came out in about what, about eighty eight or so, uh, and uh, yeah, I was, oh, yeah, I was, so I was in college. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was, and uh, and that's a, I mean, it, it is. He's he's done a lot of great music, but that's his masterpiece, I think. Just a, mm. it's so novelistic that record, and he doesn't even sing it. He sort of he he he's almost like an author uh, at a reading. Uh, that that's his vocal delivery of, of those lines. It's just brilliant. It's a great <laughs> song, but they're all great songs on, on on that album. It's just it's a magnificent piece of work. Uh, so, um, and that was Lou Reed on the Boulevard. Dirty Boulevard. Oh, Dirty Boulevard. Yeah. Don't forget the dirty, 
right? I feel like now there's going to be a um, like an upsurge in in album sales today. After, after I don't think program. I'm that influential, but it is a hell of an uh, it's a hell of an album. Yeah, it's magnificent. Yeah. And what and what what music? Because you said now that with the family and uh, and 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 writing and other things that you're doing, is there is there music now? that's kind of getting in there too or is it still do you return to these songs and this music from this um this? my input of new stuff tends to come from the radio uh, there's a couple of uh eclectic radio programs i listen to on rte the irish broadcaster and there's a great one on um uh well well the Irish ones a program because of, of, of course we, we have the internet now so people can look them up but there's a great Irish pro- program called the John Kelly Ensemble uh, and Radio 3's this is BBC Radio 3 uh, have a program called Late Junction where, 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 where they play weird and wonderful mixes from all genres from all over the world from all times and, and, and you can hear some wonderful things that way uh, and it still and, wakes you up and it connects right into the yeah, that heart you don't quite area. want your I mean sort of you, you have music you love and that you want to revisit but I think it's important not for your music collections not become a museum a hermetically sealed museum that, 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 that has no new coming into it now, it's, it's a bit harder these days because so much music is out there and produced by the internet and, and, and it's sort of the haystack in which to find beautiful silver needles has become infinite um but um but yeah yeah it's uh it's good to have if 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 if, if someone's curating your new stuff then 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 you can kind of find good things without wasting too much time on music that does absolutely nothing for you don't you think yes yes where do you find good new music here Right, here, right. listening to the station i feel like it's right. a real right. um it's 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 a it's a little gem out there so yeah. maybe you can stream it from ireland as I'm well sure we can. And, i'm sure we and, can <laughs> yeah we'll have to wcbn fn ann arbor yes right. <laughs> thank you david the hey. call letters hey, um <laughs> well thinking about also then um, because you're talking about new music and I'm thinking about like new ideas and earlier you had said that um, the planes that are sort of in a holding pattern are uh, these possible novels yeah. are there how, how do you decide when there's a world that you want to enter for have that commitment with you don't decide you just can't not that's it in a word it's, it's really that simple there's not much more to add you just can't not it, it, it sort of starts obsessing you and and, and um uh it's a great bit in that recent martin scorsese by bi- um the biopic of um george harrison where george harrison's quoted as looking at this beautiful sunset uh one evening and you know what a great display there can be in the west when the sun goes down sometimes and and, and he just pointed at it and said ah, i want to do that i want to do that what do you mean George you can't do that it's a sunset and you're a human being you can't do a sunset but you know what he means don't you you just I want to do that Yes. and when you feel that then it's not a decision you just can't not and so yeah uh, the, the, the four books and the holding patterns and all the books I've ever written I wrote them because I just couldn't not 
And it, and, but, and, but it's also interesting to me that it seems like you also know that there's a time for a book. Like you mentioned with A Thousand Autumns of Jacob Dizut, like it wasn't you, it was the fifth novel you wrote. It wasn't the mm. first one. Mm. There was this mm. idea that was there. But so, but it, so you were always going to write it. But how do you, yeah, um, I, I guess, because are these working decide, through yeah. things like, or not, um, because I feel like in things that I've read f- from you too, David, that it talks about like, um, the eye and now you've proved that you can do third person or, so, you know, like this, mm. the, uh, it's not that conscious. Um, it's more sort of, they, one nudges its way more aggressively to the front of the queue and in the sort of rather purgatorial last six months of writing a novel it's rather like when a marriage is going bad you sort of have to keep on it you and and there's stress and pressure and and you sort of have to go into imaginative fifth gear to get the damn book done oh my third damn of the program (laughs) to get the damn book done uh and you start sort of having slightly flirty affairs with your next book and you start having slightly guilty flings when you should be thinking about the book that you've promised your editor again really will be in this time no really will be in this time um uh but no you start thinking about what you really want to be writing which is the next one and you know and you don't choose the next one sort of it presents itself it's, it's as, there. Uh, it's... and 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 so you at least in my case, you start writing the next book mentally before you even finish its predecessor. And are you jotting, or is it, are you keeping it in just like these mental you images? You try to, or, but or... actually the more you try to keep it just mental and not take any more of your precious time, which your partner might be winning for you by doing her share of the housework, in my case, or her share, <laughs> guiltily, I end up actually writing stuff down because if they're there and they're great ideas then don't waste them because you'll forget them otherwise so i write them down and say okay shut the notebook get back to the thing i'm trying to finish uh but yeah yeah and and has it been that in the part of the the process david for for each of them has it felt like at the end there is that moment with the um like the last six months where you feel like you just have to kind of put your head down and keep going with it. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, yeah, always, it's yeah. Never... yeah. It's uh nice to think that you have loads of time that, um, you know, you what you really ought to do is put a manuscript away for eight months. Uh, let's make it nine months. Cause then it's the, a human gestation period. It would be great if you could, but actually the reality is you've signed a contract there's a deadline the slot for publications already been decided upon in-house the sales people will hate you if you mess them about when the catalogs already been printed so no the book really has to be in uh when you've agreed it's going to be in after a certain sort of point uh if which is when the next year's schedules get decided upon if you promise a book then then you make enemies at your publishers if but, you but you're talking about. about revision right david not like the actual like the drafting of the the, the whole story first like you um revision what is a pressure drafting, that uh, would be then um yeah uh it is it, you, you said revision is drafting <laughs> yeah yeah um yes there is pressure involved uh yeah but not compared to being a journalist you know um that's my consolation at least i don't have to get this story in by half past four this afternoon that's pressure uh so stop complaining and get on with it and you still have a great job and there's still 
I know I still couldn't wouldn't want to do anything else in the world yeah could you imagine yeah you could could you imagine yourself doing anything else who would hire me and for what you know look at me I'm, i'm 43 and i haven't been to a meeting in my life and i don't even really know what a spreadsheet is properly and uh, who's gonna hire me <laughs> so no it's got to be novels <laughs> so uh, and i love it and in the last six months it's quite hard work but but it's great hard work and yeah. you love it yeah and, yeah and were you writing Definitely. all your life even when you were seriously like a, a little Not, boy as a uh, in uh, without discipline yeah but that's the difference uh mid-20s i kind of realized i was in japan and saw people in their mid-40s who were in japan still teaching english and had never really found a way to leave and didn't really like where they were but sort of couldn't go back uh and there are people there who still wanted to be there and, and that's great and fine too but but i kind of didn't that's when I realised it's not enough just to be talented. There's lots of people that are talented, but, but you need discipline as well, or your talent will never really turn into much. So uh, get disciplined, and which means getting with the TV, uh, having a computer these days without any internet connection at all, and sacrificing most of your social life and having about three friends in the world, which is kind of me. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I get to write novels instead. And that's a, that, that's an ample compensation for, for a life. <laughs> you have many lives then here. Yeah, yeah, but they're all imaginary. And my friends are mostly invisible ones. <laughs> but, uh, and, 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 and you have to sort of overstimulate parts of you, which if you stimulated any more would become mental abnormalities. You know, the sort of the multiple personality disorder you, you have to accentuate to write characters the the um uh the schizophrenia whereby you sort of loosen your hold on this reality and strengthen your hold on on, on realities that are not but you need to strengthen your hold on them to make them feel real when you write about them there's one or two others as well um but those those two would be the main ones you have to accentuate these things and uncouple yourself somewhat from the world that everyone else lives in but that's okay i love doing it and uh, and i haven't gone too far i haven't gone so far that i can't come back yet <laughs> <laughs> thank you david mitchell oh, glad you're here today <laughs> hey, oh, it's, my, it's my great pleasure too well you kind of helped anchor me to reality i guess and uh, that's that's the nice thing about the the authorial part of my job as opposed to the writerly part of my job. Are we going to hear any Kate Bush before we That's go? That's what we're going out on. Oh, this is a great song. Thanks for listening to Living Writers. Today on the program, David Mitchell. Um, until next time. Fisherman, Ned. 
This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, October 31st, 2012 in Los Angeles. I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, communities across the eastern U.S. begin recovery from Hurricane Sandy as power cuts and flooding persist in some areas. With six days to go until the U.S. election, voters are paying close attention to the candidates' response to the disaster. And we'll hear from residents in Nigeria about their views on how the outcome of the U.S. presidential election could affect Africa. Those stories and more coming up after this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. In the wake of powerful storm Sandy, power outages are affecting residents from North Carolina, north through New England, and as far west as Michigan. More than 6 million households are without electricity, according to the latest stats from the Department of Energy. Sandy has now weakened to a low-pressure system over western Pennsylvania, but it continues to wreak havoc on several states. West Virginia has seen heavy snowfall. The snow has caused several deaths, including a candidate for the state legislature who was killed by a falling limb. The number of dead from Sandy continues to rise, more than 60, according to Wednesday afternoon reports. Deaths in the Caribbean have topped 70. Overall, unemployment in the Eurozone has reached the highest point in its history. Statistics released today from the European Union show that 11.6 percent of people in the zone are unemployed. From Madrid, FSRN's Robert Downs reports. There are more unemployed people in the Eurozone than ever before. But those 18.5 million people without jobs aren't spread equally around the continent. A few countries, mainly Spain and Greece, far surpass their European neighbors. Here in Spain, 